This morning we're going to be in James chapter 4. So if uh, you brought a Bible, I uh, would love to invite you to join us there. If you didn't bring one, there's probably one under your seat or the one in front of you or behind you. Um, or you can open up the Bible app and follow along with us there. Now last week when we were in James, uh, Dustin was finishing up chapter 3. And we talked about there are two kinds of wisdom. There is true wisdom from above, and there is false wisdom um, from this world. And if you want the true wisdom from above, what do you have to do? Okay, hold on. All right, we'll try this again. I, I get sometimes preachers ask questions and we don't actually want answers. Um, and then sometimes we ask them and we do, and it's kind of hard to know. So I'm, I, I want you to respond uh, on this one, okay? If we want the true wisdom that comes from above, we need to ask, right? Um, we need to ask. So how do we know if we have that true wisdom from above? Well, James told us last week that it will reveal itself in our actions and in our humility. And so what James is going to do in chapter 4 is he's going to continue with this idea of contrasting things from God and things from the world. We're going to move away from wisdom, but he's going to kind of carry with this, this theme of this contrast as we look in chapter 4. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just read our passage for today all together. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll break it down into three parts this morning. So I'm going to start in James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And here's what he says. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose what that the scripture says? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded." Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, kind of seems like a little downer. Uh, James is, is getting on his audience here. And I think what would be helpful if maybe we just refresh our memories about some of the things that James has taught thus far in his letter and some of the things that are really important to him. And so, as we can tell just by even reading this passage, that the churches that James is writing to they're dealing with some problems. We know a few details about what some of those problems are. We don't have all the answers, 
But it's not hard for us to understand that people, communities, and churches can deal with problems. And here's what it ultimately boils down to for James. Are you in or are you out? That's really what it boils down to for James. Are you in or are you out? And that idea comes from two places, really. One of them is what his own half-brother Jesus taught. Jesus said this in Luke eleven twenty three: Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So you're either in or you're out. Which, which one is it? But it also comes not just from what Jesus taught, but it also comes from James and his own life experience. If you'll remember, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, did not believe in his brother as the Son of God, as the Messiah, while he was alive. It wasn't until James met his brother Jesus, resurrected from the dead, that everything changed. And we can imagine why. Seeing your brother resurrected from the dead would confirm for you that he wasn't crazy but that everything he said was true. That who he claimed to be is actually who he is. When James met Jesus, resurrected, he went from being impressed with his brother to convinced. He went from being a skeptic to a fanatic. And James went all in in his faith and his obedience and his devotion to Jesus. And so James doesn't have a lot of patience for people who are half in and half out with their faith. From his perspective, if you've met Jesus resurrected, if you believe that he's resurrected, how does it not change everything about your life? Listen, either Jesus resurrected from the dead, and if he resurrected from the dead, that means he is who he said he was the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one capable of altering your eternity and forgiving you of your sins. If Jesus resurrected from the dead, that means that he is not just worthy of our worship and worthy of our life's devotion. If he resurrected from the dead, then it demands our worship and our devotion and if jesus did not raise from the dead then we owe him nothing if he did not rise up from the grave then he's not a good moral philosopher he's not a good humanitarian it would make him a lunatic if you're familiar with the famous work from the 1950s called Mere Christianity by a guy named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis had a similar story to James in that initially growing up and as a young adult, he did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He did not believe uh, that Jesus was who he said he was. He was not impressed or convinced by Jesus' claim. And it really wasn't until one of C.S. Lewis's friends, a guy by the name of J.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, actually helped lead C.S. Lewis to faith in Jesus, that 
for C.S. Lewis, his whole mindset and worldview went through a radical transformation. And he started realizing that if Jesus really rose from the dead, it should change everything about us and how we see Jesus. But that the resurrection leaves us little options for what to do with Jesus. Here's what he writes in his famous book, uh, Mere Christianity, about this very idea of kind of wavering on what we think about Jesus. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That's a lot of what James is doing in his letter is he's making this strong, emotional, sometimes exaggerating points to show us how the truth of the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus forces us to make some decisions. What James is going to say this morning is that you cannot casually date God while keeping your other options open. So here's what I want to do. I want to break down that passage in chapter 4 into three parts today. The problem, the cause or causes, and the solution. So we're going to look at the problem together first. So we see it in verse 1 and in verse 11. I'll read portions of both. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Later on in verse 11 that we read, he says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So here's the problem that James's audience is facing. There are quarrels, fights, conflicts, disputes, speaking evil of one another, and judgmentalism. Now, I recognize that this letter was written nearly 2,000 years ago. But the problems that the people in these churches were facing, they were not a first century problem. They're a human problem. Now, we know a few details, some, some minor details, about what was going on in these churches, but we don't have all the specifics, but we don't need to. Because all of us can picture exactly how people in a community could be divided over issues. Not that we needed examples, but have the last two years not been a perfect case study of how easily we can fight and quarrel and judge and divide? Mask or no mask? Vaccine or no vaccine? 
racial issues and the appropriate community solutions? CRT? We can divide and fight and quarrel and judge on anything. On serious matters and on silly matters. So while we don't have all the small specifics of what the churches James is writing to were dealing with, we get some small pictures, and James is going to lay out for us what the real cause is. So we go on to verse 2 through 4. He said this, You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So the causes of this division, of these fights and these quarrels and these conflicts, as we see James allude to, are misguided desires, selfish passions, and befriending the world. Now, here's, here's the reality of the situation. We don't have any evidence to suggest that the people James is writing to were actually abandoning totally their faith in God in order to run after or pursue other gods or other things. That they were making some kind of conscious decision to re- totally reject God and choose someone or something else. But what we have seen in this letter is that there's a tendency among his people that he's writing to to imitate the world by doing certain things. By discriminating against people. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. By speaking negatively of others. It'd be chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 by exhibiting bitter envy, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Dustin talked about last week in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And by pursuing their own destructive pleasures. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And so James, as it were, wants to raise the stakes so that his readers see their compromising conduct for what it really is. God tolerates no rival. When believers behave in a worldly manner that's contrary to the nature and character and activity of God, it demonstrates that at that point in their life, their allegiance is to the world rather than to God. Now, normally, when we talk about uh, our allegiance or our devotion or our worship being taken away from God and on to something else, there's usually a word that we use to describe that. And that word is idolatry. This idea of worshiping an idol. And we've talked about this several times before in this series, that while sometimes we get this image of idol worship being like bowing down to some some statue or burning incense to a picture of some strange foreign god. Really, an idol is anything or anyone that we give our worship 
to rather than God, that we give our devotion to rather than God. And so we refer to this idea as idolatry, that we abandon the one true God and are unfaithful to the one true God by giving worship or devotion or loyalty to someone or something else. But James does something interesting here. He doesn't use the word we would expect. Rather than using the word idolatry, he uses this phrase, adultery. Idolatry being unfaithfulness to the one true God. Adultery being unfaithfulness to the one to whom you've pledged your life. James is taking an Old Testament idea to teach this concept of unfaithfulness to God. If you're familiar with a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament, they love to use this imagery to communicate our unfaithfulness to God. God's people have entered into a covenant relationship with God himself. Just like a married couple enters into a covenant relationship with one another. We, as God's people, have entered into a covenant relationship with God. We're in a spiritual, cosmic marriage with the creator of the universe. And when we stray, our idolatry is essentially adultery. We're being unfaithful to the one with whom we've entered into a covenant promise and relationship. And so what James is teaching us is that the greatest cause of division within God's people is that some of them have begun committing adultery. They have started to flirt with the world. They said they were all in in their covenant relationship with God, but then they start flirting with or entertaining thoughts of or testing the waters of a new relationship. A relationship with the promises and with the enticements and with the things that this world says it has to offer. So then James will give us the solution in 7 and the first part of verse 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So the solution, resist the devil and his temptations to stray. Draw near to God. So resist the temptation to cheat and renew your promise and commitment to God. Okay. This sounds good, right? Okay. That's the answer, James. Just resist the temptation and draw near to God. That sounds very religious. How does that actually work? Like, how do we actually do this? I think, I hope most of us in this room would say, I want to resist the temptation to stray from my relationship with God, and I want to draw near to him. But what what does that actually look like? Fortunately, James will help us. So in the second part of verse 8 and then through verse 10. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He 
will exalt you. Probably not the kind of encouraging instructions we were hoping for. Like, all right, I was looking for some relationship advice, James, in my relationship with God, and you're a downer. That's kind of what it feels like, right? I mean, laughter to mourning, joy to gloom. That doesn't sound like great relationship advice. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Here's what James is saying. Confess, repent, own your failures, own your mistakes, own your adultery, and humble yourselves, for, by, humble yourselves before God. Here's what I'd love to do. I want to give you an illustration. It's actually influenced by exactly what James has been teaching that I think will help to reveal what he's trying to say and make it personal. So I want to use an illustration. Before I use this illustration, I want to recognize that all of us come from different places in life, that all of us who've been through different experiences, I want to recognize that some of us have gone through tremendous hurt and pain in life, sometimes as a result of our own failures, sometimes as a result of failures of other people. I want to acknowledge that. And I want to say that this illustration might not be the most comfortable. And it might actually trigger pain or past experiences or feelings. And that's not my intent. But I do think it will help illustrate the point really well. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're married. Some of you, you are. Some of you are not. So imagine for a moment that you're married. And you have just been caught flirting with someone who is not your spouse. It has just been revealed that you had started entertaining thoughts of someone else. That you were just exposed testing the waters of another relationship. What would be the appropriate response if that were true? What would you need to do in that moment to be reconciled to your spouse? Well, the exact things that James just told us to do to confess, to repent, to own your failures, to own your mistakes, to own the adultery, and to humble yourself. Just what would be the appropriate response if we had made that kind of mistake in our marriage and it, and it was exposed the appropriate response is exactly what James says. That's the appropriate response for us when there's idolatry and, a, and adultery exposed in our hearts. When we have started to stray, when we have started to flirt with another, 
when we have started to entertain thoughts of finding joy and satisfaction outside of God, when we have started testing the waters of a new relationship, he says, just just as you would do in your marriage is what we should do in our covenant spiritual marriage with God. That the response is not excuses. That the response is not reassign blame. The response is overwhelming humility and repentance. That's what James is trying to communicate to us. When we begin flirting with things of the world, and when we say world, we, in this instance, we're not necessarily meaning all those evil, nasty, bad stuff. It's anything that isn't God himself. Anything from our lives or our culture, our communities that make promises to us. This will bring you joy. This will bring you happiness. This will bring you satisfaction. This is better. And any time we start to stray, James would say, we're committing adultery on the God of this universe. We are committing cosmic treason. And there's only one appropriate way to respond. So what do we do? How is it even possible? Because if we're honest in here, we have strayed a lot. I guess there's not one of us in this room that would be comfortable if all of our thoughts were exposed on this screen for everyone else to see. Sometimes it's a moment. Sometimes it's a season of straying, of thinking, of testing the waters. So what's, what are we to do? James is going to celebrate that there is an answer. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. But he gives more grace. That Jesus, the one whom we cheated on, said, I will take your filth, I will take your sin, I will take those things that stain your life and your past, I'll take them. And in response, I'll give you my purity. Because I've never strayed, but I'll give you my purity. It says that he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our unfaithfulness upon himself and gave us his faithfulness and his purity. It's an act of grace. On the cross, he said, I'll take every part of the punishment and the shame and the guilt that comes from your straying, I'll take it on myself. It was an act of grace. And then James tells us, but it doesn't stop there because he just keeps 
giving more grace. He didn't just give grace on the cross. He gives it every day. He just gives more grace. So James says, are you in or are you out? Do you want to serve a world that makes promises every day and never fulfills them? Or are you in on the creator of the universe who rescued you? The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We were in the midst of committing adultery when Jesus said, I'll die for you. He said, do you want... Do you want the world that will offer you everything and deliver nothing? Or do you want a God who will every moment of your life extend grace to you? James says you have to choose. You can't stand in the middle. You don't get to date God while keeping your other options open. Are you in or are you out? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are sinners. We have all gone astray. We all fall so short of your glory and your holiness. We stray on a daily basis sometimes on a moment-by-moment basis. Most of us strayed already this morning by trying to find joy and satisfaction in someone or something other than you. And we are so humbled by your grace because we don't deserve it. Lord, help us. Help us to live out the truth of the gospel and the calling you've placed on our lives. I'd like to invite you to just keep your eyes closed for just a minute. Every week, we have a moment and an opportunity of response. An opportunity for us to respond to the call of the gospel. An opportunity to respond to what we've just heard. And so we're giving you this gift of this moment to respond. Before anything else happens today, before you got to worry about lunch or work or afternoon plans, in this moment, you have this gift to think and to respond. So we want to invite you to respond whatever way is appropriate. Perhaps you want to stay in your seats in just an attitude of prayer. Maybe you want to get on your knees in humility before the Lord to do what James called us to do, to confess and to repent and to be humble. Maybe as Dustin and the team lead us in worship, the best way for you to respond is to stand and to celebrate that He gives more grace. In the back, we have the communion table. And that bread and that cup represent what Jesus did on the cross to extend that grace to us.
That cup represents his blood that washes us clean. That though we were like scarlet in our sin, like the juice in that cup, he makes us white as the snow that was just falling outside. And that bread represents his body, which was broken for us. Because of how much he loves us. And so the cup and the bread is available for you in the back. And so I'm going to give you this moment to respond. However the Lord may lead, however may be most appropriate for you in this moment. Lord, we are humbled before you. We confess our sin. We repent. Lord, we need your grace because we can't do this on our own. And in humility and in celebration and in worship and honor, we respond to you this morning.